Hey, you know, it's a privilege to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Yes, it is. You know, um, last week we, we started a series that I'm running and the pastor is running another series. So we have concurrent series. But I think that God's given us a mind where we can sort it and handle it. Right. So, pastor, you're coming back next week. I'm looking forward to the conclusion of your series, a much needed and anointed series. So thank you for doing that. I'm going to bring this series along as I will. The Holy Spirit has just spoken to me on this first, this subject of First Peter and family matters from the book of First Peter. So uh, before we get rolling today, this is the second installment. I hope you've had a chance to hear uh, last week, but if you haven't, it's recorded. You can get that. Last week was Family Matters uh, Part 1, and it was a family greeting. And this week, uh, Family Matters Part 2 which is a living hope and the family estate. So before we get going into the master text, it would help to do a bit of a recap from last week, but also to look into the overarching theme of what the book of 1 Peter is trying to tell us. And if there is a theme, it centers around this one word. It's the Greek word for grace. And in that word is charis. It, it, it occurs 10 times in the book of 1 Peter. So as the series unfolds, the message becomes clear. God's grace is sufficient for his family. Hallelujah and praise God. That's your first bullet uh, point today for those of you that track. And if you're, if you're new here and you have the bulletin, You'll find that we try to do uh, to have you following along. If it's underlined on the screen in different color or something, we're trying to maybe indicate that that's uh, following the bulletin outline today. So feel free to fill those in if you're if you're using the bulletin. All right. If you were here last week or you listened to the recording, you will recall that it was stressed that that was a message or main point of the family greeting was. The family blessing. And that is grace and peace be yours in abundance. Yeah. Hallelujah. That is no petty subject and not a subject to be glossed over. You know, we have a tendency to see in the beginning, oh, blah, 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 let's get on with it. Well, that's not the way it is. The good stuff is in the beginning because that's where the blessing is for the family of God. It's not a petty subject at all. Write it onto your hearts. Meditate on it and cherish it and praise your Father in heaven for it because he has lavished his grace upon you. And as we will see today, God's saving grace, that's what, what we were talking about, his saving grace you know, we are saved by grace, through faith, and both are given to us by God. That's pretty generous right there, right? That's the saving grace, but it gets even better because on top of the saving grace, he gives us more grace and he gives us a living hope for an eternal life in a glorious family estate. It's not going to get any better than that. All right. So praise the Lord. I think I'm having trouble 
here getting my slide to, uh, oh, that's me, all right. Um, so if you would now, let's join, uh, join me in standing as we honor God in the reading of his word for our master text for our uh, message today. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 313, a living hope and the family estate. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, reserved in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power for the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more precious than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Now that you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who foretold the grace to come to you searched and investigated carefully, trying to determine the time and setting to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they foretold the things now announced by those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Praise God. You may all be seated and God's people say, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Well, in verse 3, we saw that he's given us new birth into a living hope. That is more grace. More grace. The saving grace has come, and now we have a living hope, and that living hope happens through a new birth. In this passage, we find that the Apostle Peter shows no concern for your past. That's because every child of God is granted new birth. Just as each new dawn carries with it the hope of a new day, the new birth ushers in a fresh start for the child of God. It all starts with an act of grace, undeserved merit and favor of God the Father in the process of adoption into his family. We are saved by grace through faith. And as soon as a child steps forward in that faith and confesses the name Jesus Christ, instantaneously adopted. Adopted. 
A new process is coming. God, the Holy Spirit, comes into you and he slaps a seal of authenticity onto you and he takes up residence in you. But God gives even more grace. He gives us new birth. The old slate is wiped clean. The record of wrongs is replaced by an entry adopted in God's book of life. Hallelujah to praise his name today. Now you may recall from last week, if you heard the tape, you were part of the teaching last week, that my wife, Samantha, was adopted. Her dear mother told her, adoption means you're special because I got to choose you. And that's what our father's telling us. We're special. He chose us. You know, Samantha was raised, she felt the genuine love of a natural born child into that family. She bore the family name of Morgan and she had a seat at a family table. She shared in the chores and responsibilities of the family. She was provided with shelter and protection. She was taught right from wrong and she was taught about Jesus at home and in church. And there's good evidence that she may have been spoiled. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Youngest of 11. So that explains it all or most of it. You know, what the Morgans did for her was an act of grace on their part. They poured out their grace upon Samantha. They didn't have to go and rescue her from a desperate situation. They didn't have to lift her out of a dark and, 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 and despairing lifestyle. They rescued her out of the grace and goodness that they had. Oh, and as much grace as they poured upon her to rescue her, they did all they could, but they couldn't do the one thing that God could do for Samantha. They could not give her new birth into a living hope for an eternal family estate, but God can. And so as we look upon <clears throat> the Lord, we see if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That's a new birth. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. God gives us new birth. He doesn't merely adopt us and then leave us to linger as we are. No way. When I came to God, I didn't like where I was. I came to God so I wouldn't stay where I was. And God adopted me and then he gave me something called a new birth, which is a supernatural power inside of me to make the change to be conformed to his word in an act of obedience. I can't obey God all by myself. He gave me the power to obey him. He gave me the grace to be saved. He gave me the faith to accept the grace. And then he gave me the power inside in a new birth to change. 
That's the person standing here today. I don't recognize the other person. The one that got adopted, I, I don't remember that one anymore. Oh, it was me. I can see the pictures. But man, I am so thankful. I've almost forgotten what that was like. He worked on, uh, on us on the inside with something called the fruit of the Spirit. He takes us from where we are and He fills our hearts and empowers us with love and joy and peace and patience and so, so, so much more. Every despairing moment that happened in my life happened because I choose to act out of character, of God's character, and in my own character. I failed to act in love and joy and keep the peace and, uh, and to live in patience and self-control. God gave me a new birth and he can give you a new birth. If you're not in the family today, this is the best offer that you're ever going to get on the planet. And you need to take it while you're on the planet. I can guarantee you. Praise God this morning. Praise Him for a new birth. We are not the same. We are being transformed into His image with intensifying glory. His grace enables us to move from glory to glory. We no longer remember that old person. The new person has truly sprung to life. All to the praise and glory of God's amazing grace in a new birth. Thank you, Lord. But there's more. Oh, there's always more with the Lord. In this, uh, in this passage, as we said, Peter is not concerned about the past because you knew. The one past event that Peter is concerned with is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That fact that Jesus rose from the dead is the basis for all our hope. Every new birth in, into the living hope is founded on the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. Hey, Jesus is alive. The apostle Peter is alive. The saints that Peter wrote to in, in Cappadocia and Galatia, they're alive. All God's people are alive. There is no one dead in God's family. Jesus said, our father is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 1, I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and behold now I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. God's children are always alive because our hope is always alive. And our hope is always alive because the one we hope in is always alive. Always alive. Now listen carefully because I'm not going to be able to use some of the $22.5 words like the pastor did. Sir Q, whatever. All right. Now Bill, don't smile too big. You were using some fancy stuff too. I didn't even know we had an egress until you said it. And I'm like, I don't even know how to get there. 
how am I going to do something? But I'm going to use a word today, attestable. Attestable. That means that it's evident. It's evident, okay? And I'm not saying provable or verifiable. I'm going to use the word attestable, and I, I'll explain that. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the most widely attestable fact in human history. Notice I said attestable, not necessarily scientifically provable or historically verifiable. God's children do not walk by science. They walk by faith. The resurrection is the most widely attested event in human history because the Holy Spirit lives in us. He came sweeping onto the scene 2,000 years ago with a power that has changed the course of history like none other. He works from the inside, fueling the chosen with a living hope that, turn has, that has in turn fueled the building of hospitals the feeding of the hungry, ministering to those in prison, toppling of tyrants, liberation of captives, both physically and spiritually. We don't need a controlled experiment. We have faith and we see the evidence of his goodness all over our lives and all over the world. The most widely attestable fact in all of history Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus. He's alive and the spirit is alive. And you can guess. There's more grace. There's more grace. Those of us that are on the senior side of life. You know, that's soft talk for old folks, right? I softened it up. I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But I'm talking to myself. I look in the mirror. I can see what's happening. You know, I'm thankful. I got an eternal estate to get to. I can't get there if I'm just going to stay here and I look, you know, 25 all my life. It was about times like, come on, let's get moving. Right? Let's get moving, right? But you know what I'm talking about. The tent of this body is going to start coming down. Praise God. I need only look to glance in the mirror, but you know what? Jesus isn't the only one that's going to get a resurrection and a glorified body. His resurrection is a guarantee that we have a resurrection and our bodies also will be glorified. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Now I want to hear a hand clap right now for Jesus Christ. That is all the power. That is all the power that we ever going to need. But guess what? Can you guess? There's going to be more. There's going to be more grace. We're not even done yet. So more is on the way. It says in my notes, to make sure I, next time I use the purple ribbon, 
and that I'm looking at slide six, I just in case you're wondering what I'm shuffling up here. They taught me that in school. All right. Well, a few days ago, this week, this last Bible study, men's study, do you know our men have a footprint of 16 men in the men's group now? Yeah, let's praise God for that. We also have a name. We're sharpened iron. That's tough. That's macho. Yeah, I like it. You gotta, it's got to be a good one to compete with those lady warriors. All right. But in that group, we had 11 last time. So we ne- we've never had the full 16 at once. Nine, 11, something like that, 12. It is awesome. Thank you, brother. Pastor Andy made this comment. And it's true. We plan for our off, not all of us, you know, but we plan for our vacations better than we plan for our eternity. Now, that, I don't remember how it came up in the context, but, you know, that's, that's kind of a sobering thought. So here in 1 Peter is an opportunity for us to maybe focus on that statement and make a change for the better. You know, he's absolutely right. We should be more concerned with our eternal destination than our vacation destination, right? We could. Sometimes it's just that we take a, we, we just take God's grace for granted. And that's good. I think he loves us and he wants us to do that. He wants us to trust him wholeheartedly. And we do have that. But, you know, it takes some maintenance here. We can't just sit in the chair and wait. We got a job to do. And we've got places to go in the, in the name of God. So let's talk about planning for our eternal destiny, the living hope which provides assurance of our place on a family estate. Chapter 1, verses, uh, verse 4, it says, well, I'll back up a little bit. By his mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, reserved in heaven for you. That sounds like vacation language when you reserve an Airbnb or you reserve a condo, right? And that's, that's stressful. You know, God made the reservation for us. I didn't have to call anybody and, and, and work out the details, get all flustered. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, we read of a mass exodus from Egypt on a journey for God's people, but he's not taking them to just any land. He's taking them to the best land, a land, it said, that flows with milk and honey. That's the land he was moving his people to. This is Old Testament. Moses, you know the story. That land is called Israel, and it became the capital city of Jerusalem, and it became the host of God's temple. But God has another mass exodus planned, um, an exodus of interstellar proportions beyond our imagination. Revelation chapter 21, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, shining with the glory of God. 
The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. There is no need for sun or moon because the glory of God illuminates the city and Jesus is its lamp. Its gates will never shut at the end of the day because there is no night there and because nothing unclean will ever enter it. Isn't that wonderful? You know, when you book an Airbnb or a condo, you have to make a down payment and in return, they'll give you a reservation. There's, the, there's a family estate going to come down from the sky. It's there. But the family estate is already paid for in the blood of God the Son. The reservation, the Holy Spirit is our down payment. He provides our assurance of our place in the family estate, which is our bullet point for the slide. Now you're wondering... That's not the New Jerusalem, by the way. And that's not a picture of where we're going. There's no one's got a picture of that. So that is, who knows what that is on the slide? Does anybody know? That's a family estate. Who said it? Biltmore, right. Have, who's been there? Have y'all been there? How many rooms are in it? That's not, you're close to the right answer. A lot, too many, that more than enough, more than enough. That's true. Well, how many rooms are in God's estate? More than enough, more than enough, right? Way more than enough. There is 178,926 square foot of living space. You want that heating bill? No, me either. All right. It was built, built for George Washington Vanderbilt. It took six years to construct, and it's been standing around for 126 years. That place is huge. I've not been there, but the people that have been there come back, and they say, they all say the same thing. Wow. I can't imagine I'd, like, spend the whole day looking at a house and, and enjoy it, but everyone says, that's what I thought, too. But when I got there, I couldn't get enough of it. So... Maybe we'll have to go check it out. But you know, no matter how perfect the Biltmore State appears to the naked eye, you can bet it has many hidden flaws. Peter tells us that God's family estate is undefiled. It's absolutely perfect in every detail. You know, the Biltmore has stood for 126 years and it'll, it may be there for another 126 years. But one day, even if it doesn't even if, let's say, it escapes fire and natural disaster, one day, under its own weight, it will fade and it will crumble. But Peter confirms that our heavenly estate is unfading and imperishable. And that which never fades and can never be destroyed is therefore eternal because God's family lives forever and they need an eternal estate. Praise God this morning. Oh, but God, he gives us more grace. In verse five. Okay, so we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, reserved in heaven for us. Now this is us that he's talking about. Who through faith 
are shielded by God's power for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, he has given us the new birth into this inheritance, and it's we then, he says, through faith are shielded by God's power for salvation. We are shielded by God's power for salvation. That is additional grace. You know, while a lot of vacation destinations may come with private security when you get there, When's the last time you had one of them call after you made the reservation and say, hey, I know how much this vacation means to you, and because so, we're going to send you a bodyguard to keep you safe until you get here. That's not going to happen. But God's got an eternal state, and he's shielding us with his power so that we are safe on arrival. Praise his holy name. Praise his name. But there's more. The living hope is a source of joy in suffering for doing good. Verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in various trials. First Peter chapter 2, verse 20, says, what good is it if you just suffer for being bad? It happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to you. What good is it? That's the natural way it should be. But if you suffer for doing good, then, you're, then the Father's looking upon you and you can be sure that His favor and grace are on you because you have now a chance to show that you can bear it. In the name of Jesus Christ, I'll take it. And you'll find you can stand and you can say, I'll take another. That is extra grace. The living hope is a source of joy in suffering for doing good. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and John were arrested by the Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin for the outrageous outlandish crime of healing people in the name of Jesus Christ. Wow. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 40, that group called them in. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. That shirt's off, whips on back. Had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. The, apostle left, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. So, is the source of joy and suffering for doing good? Or the name? Or the kingdom? But you get it. It's not the suffering that just comes as a result of living in a sinful world. We're all, we all have that. No one's escaping it. But as Christians, the history has shown that Christians are challenged and persecuted all the way through history. The Bible says in this world, you will have trouble, but you have God's grace. You have God's grace. 
Peter wrote this letter to a suffering people. In Acts chapter 8, you remember they're in the middle of Turkey, right? I'm not the Thanksgiving kind. I shouldn't have used that. It's Thanksgiving's this week. All right. But it's the modern Republic of Turkey. And that he said they were scattered there. Well, in AD 40, there was a scattering of the church in Jerusalem. These were mostly Jewish Christians, but they were making Gentile converts. And they, they fled Jerusalem to get away. And so they headed north. But then in AD 50, you can find this out in, in, in Acts chapter 18, Rome, the, the, the ruler in Rome, expelled the Jews from Rome. And they fled south. Paul met up with them. Uh, Apollos, Pris Priscilla and Aquila, right? Uh, he met up with them. In Ephesus. So, so there's biblical evidence scattered from the north, scattered from the south. And by the time this letter was written in AD 60, there was a mixture of Jewish and Gentile Christians in the middle of the Republic of Turkey. They met in the middle and they settled there because they weren't being hunted down and there was no law in that land that persecuted the Christians or the Jews. But the people there were persecuting them. That's what the historical evidence says. Now, now listen closely. Here's what they encountered. Christians in that time that Peter were writing to, they were being fired, not hired. They were being shunned. They were being charged extra for goods and services. And they were exposed to public humiliation. Communities and even households were being divided because of the intolerance of the unbelieving pressed on to the believing. That's the backdrop that the Holy Spirit addressed through this letter. He will address every need for the family of God today as he has addressed every need for the family of God throughout history. God is the fountain of all grace. And to all who put their faith in Jesus Christ, Peter reminds them and he reminds us, we have a living hope. We have a living hope. But he said, after we suffer for a little while. What's a little while? Well, in the original Greek, it is oligos. But that doesn't really help me much because that just tells me back to English. It means a little while. I think the King James means a season. That's what they say, a little while. So what is a little while? And, and, and you can see the verses. This is where that word appears in the Bible. In James 4.14, to help answer the question, James says, what is our time here on earth? Our days are but a mist that appear for oligos. A little while. So... A little while in this context is no more than the lifespan of a human body. That's a little while. No more than the lifespan of a human body. Can be less, but no more. Because that's, that's all the body can suffer. 
right? That's all the, the mind can take because when it shuts down, the, the Lord gets you, right? The Lord gets you, your body goes in storage, the Lord gets you, and then there's a future resurrection and, and, and a, a glorified body to look for. We got nothing to lose, so how long is a little while? No more than the lifespan of a human body. But the best way to a- answer the question, um, how long is a little while, is to ask another question. How long is eternity? What is a little while? What is eternity? It's mind-boggling. It's absolutely mind-boggling. Romans 8, 11, I consider the present sufferings are not comparable to the glory that will be revealed in us, to the glory and power of God. Go with me, let's, let's do this. Let's go with me to 1 Peter um, chapter 5 and verse 10. I think this is important for us. First Peter chapter five and verse 10. And after you have suffered oligos, a little while, the God of all grace, how much grace? 100%. All grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he himself will, now count these off, he will restore you Secure you, strengthen you, and establish you. Is that not the full package? Is that not more grace? We have a no-fail guarantee from God. Yes, we will have trouble in this world. But even here and now, God will take that what the enemy means for harm and turn it to good. He permits it to be so for the testing of our faith and he flips the evil on its head by empowering us to stand the test to the glory of his name and we can stand because God makes us stand. The living hope powers us through the proving or testing of our faith. And we can stand because we have grace in abundance through faith. But that faith needs some exercise. Faith requires exercise. So God gives us the saving grace through faith. And it's ours to hold on to for dear life. The Bible teaches that without faith, we cannot please God. And that anything done apart from faith is sin. The world is going to try to shake our faith. They want to snatch the reservation to the family estate out of your hand. You can see it. But this they cannot do because we're protected by the shield of God. 
We are saved by grace through faith, a commodity more precious than gold, but as precious as faith is, tested faith is more precious still. Peter calls it the proven character of your faith. Imagine if you would, how disappointed the boxing world would be if all that Muhammad Ali ever did was train, but never had a fight. Oh, he could talk a big match, but he backed it up. But what if all he ever did was talk and train? What the world would have missed in the, it, 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 a marvel in the boxing world. But you know, challengers came and formidable opponents, big word, formidable opponents. I didn't get anything. Formidable opponents came his way and he took them, he took them down on his way up. No one would have known the champion that was Muhammad Ali had he not stood in the ring against the contenders. We too are called into the ring, but the victory is guaranteed through the, Cal for, through the victory on Calvary through Jesus Christ. I want to quote from the Daily Verse, a website. Gold is tested in the fire to remove its impurities, its blemishes, and its imperfections, and the trials of life. The trials of life purify our hearts. They increase our dependence on the Lord Jesus. They deepen our love for our Savior. They enrich our spiritual lives and strengthen our hope in his many precious promises and increase, increase our faith. From the library of Charles Spurgeon, that is a picture of his library. He owned that thing. Yeah, that was taken like in 18-something back when uh, they first were able to do photography. Charles Spurgeon said, when a calm reigns on the sea, spread the sails as you will. The ship does not move to its harbor, for on a slumbering ocean, the keel sleeps too. Let the winds rush and howl and let the waters lift themselves, though the vessel may rock and her mast may creak, it is then that she makes her headway toward her desired haven. And for God's family, that haven is the family estate. Charles Spurgeon, who wrote these words, has gone on to the family estate, having devoted his life to assisting in the adoption of God's children to the thousands of people, the thousands of souls, and maybe more. And though he is with the Lord today, his hundreds of sermons and teachings are still reaching millions around the world. And we all wish that we could, like Spurgeon, be the one to reach the millions for the kingdom of God by suffering for doing the good, for the name, for the kingdom. But consider this. It only took one person to reach Charles Spurgeon. 
Only one person to witness to Billy Graham. You may be that one to witness to the one that reaches the millions in the name of Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon said, Untested faith may be true faith, but it is sure to be small faith and is likely to remain small as long as it is without trials. Faith never prospers so well as when things are against her. And this is what's happening in the United States. The sleeping keel on the ship that is the American church just hit a rough patch on the sea. But in God's household, we have a brother and a savior who can tame the fiercest storm. And his name is Jesus. He walks on water. He rebukes waves and wind. The more they surge, the harder they blow, the more stern the rebuke is going to be. And the closer we near our destination, it becomes our faith, and it is growing by leaps and bounds. I am seeing boldness where I have not seen it before. And people that had lost their voice are speaking up, and we're doing it in the name of Jesus, powered by the Holy Spirit, under the grace of God Almighty. Yes. All that, thank, praise God. Praise God. Let's, God's true family on earth is a ship whose sails are pushed along by the Holy Spirit. My friends, God's family, the blessing has already been pronounced upon us. Grace and peace is yours in abundance today. There's a rock on the shaky soil and there's a calm in the sea. And his name is Jesus Christ and he'll be praised forevermore. We have an inheritance that reserved. It's incorruptible. And there's more. There's more. We have a proven faith. We're not in alone. Don't you ever... Let the enemy of your soul tell you that you're in a battle alone. You're in the family of God. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You're surrounded by God's grace and you're surrounded by a family. He gave you a family for a reason. For you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. We cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. We are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Look at the plurals. We, our children, plural, together. Praise his holy name today. But I want you to focus now. Look at that. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again. A spirit of bondage again to fear. And this is where the rubber meets the road today. This has already come our way. A government and society that lives in fear wants to strap the same spirit of fear back onto us, but this they cannot do. For the chain has already been broken for the true children of God and the gates of hell cannot reassemble it. 
It's busted for all eternity. We can stay in this trial. These are your power verses. Anyone wants a slide, you've got it. You want my sermon notes? You can have them. They're God's sermon notes. These are God's slides. I'll give them to you. Don't busy yourself writing all these down, but these are your power verses. If you want to take a photo, take a photo. But rest assured, if you want these, I will give you these. These are your power verses. I've said the rubbers hit the road. They've gone too far. And we can stand the trial because we are shielded by Almighty God and His grace and His peace are on us in abundance. When Peter was persecuted by the government, he said in Acts 4.19, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than God. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen or heard. Praise God. The world wants to take our liberty and our voice, but we can stand this trial by standing united on the written word and the living word of God. We can sail our mighty ship into the wind of persecution with joy, knowing that if God is for us, then who can be against us? Hallelujah and praise God this morning. All oh, there's more. We are not the sheeple of crooked administration. We are people of God. And if we're a sheep, then we're sheep in the fold of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 10, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who is greater than all, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. The Holy Spirit dwells in every child of God. And the Bible says where the Spirit of God is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If the world or any power wants to take that freedom, they will have to remove the Holy Spirit from us. But that they cannot do because the Spirit is grafted into the fabric of our being. If the world wants to remove our freedom, they will have to remove God's grace from us. But they're too late because God's grace is upon us in abundance. Hallelujah and amen. Thank you, Lord. Verses 8 and 9. Does my note say purple? That wasn't the right choice. You guys are going to have to pay closer attention. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Now that you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's hard for me to wind down because this, we're, we're almost at the end and uh, I just don't feel um, like I'm, 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 I think I'm going to amp up a little bit, if that's okay. Yes. All right. We don't, we don't have much more material, but I think that we're going to keep the energy and the spirit going here. 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Faith is the assurance of what we hope for and a certainty of what we do not see. We don't have to see him because we can feel him. I've never seen my heart, but I know it's there because I feel it beating inside me. We don't have to see him because we hear him. Just as you don't see the person on the other end of a phone call, you know they're there because they're speaking to you. So also our Savior speaks to us. Jesus said in John 10, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. How many times do we sit in a room knowing there is another person in the room next to us? We don't have to see them or touch them or even hear them, but that doesn't mean they aren't there and it doesn't mean that they cease to exist. We don't have to see him because we walk by faith and not by sight and we are filled with the living hope as we journey toward our wonderful family estate. That's the kind of additional grace that our Father lavishes on us. Chapter 1, verse 12b. Let's look at this. It says, Even angels long to look into these things as they're playing out today. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, Prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you. Now, did you hear that? There's more grace. Set your, set, set your hope, your living hope, fully on the grace to be given you. That's a new grace. That's more at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Most other translations... Uh, take this phrase in 12b and they, they, like I just read from the BSB, they say even the angels long to look into these things. But if you look at the language and you look at the context, the things they were talking about was the prophecy of Je the passion of Jesus Christ. That already happened. The angels no longer have to long to look into when it's going to happen, it already took place. That's why I prefer the NLT here. It's also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. But you know, it really doesn't make that much difference if you go with the BSB or the NLT. It's wonderful and they're watching. Psalm 91:11. For he command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Matthew 26, 53, Jesus said, don't you know that at my, at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels would be here just like that? But if that happened, how could he save the world? 
He let it happen. But he had anywhere from 144,000 to 78,000, however many there are, doesn't really matter because it's a lot more than the world could handle. Right? A sufficient supply of angels were on hand. That's our God. The living hope there is grace upon grace. And you'll find if you go to John 1.16, from His fullness we have received, from His fullness we have all, how many? All. All received grace upon grace. And so, I, don't, I think that slide may have a bit of a problem. Um, through His Spirit, ignore the body's part, through His Spirit who lives in you. You know, whenever you hear the word God gives or we receive from Him, we're hearing about grace. It's an abundant and it's an overflowing grace. And God gives us more and more grace. No eye has seen, no ears heard, no heart imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Are you in God's family today? Are you? You can be. You can be in God's family today. If you're not, God wants you. He loves you. He's loved you from all eternity. He wants to adopt you today. His son paid the price for your adoption. His Holy Spirit is waiting to come in and to be the trustee for your adoption. God gave it all and He held nothing back and He wants you in His family. You can be in His family today. It's yours for the choosing. God will have you because God loves you. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You today, Lord. Help us to understand, open the eyes of our understanding just how much grace You have. Lord, there's so much grace there. I don't think our human minds could possibly ever know what it would be to receive it all. But Lord, you want us to have it all. And so empower us, Lord, to see it and to, and to take it and to take more of it and to walk in your ways and to honor you by our obedience, to do honor to the family name of Jesus. Oh, my Lord and my God, I thank you. May each one of these be blessed here today. Lord, if there's some that need to be in this family today, have them come forward today. There may not be a tomorrow, but Lord, only you know the answer to that. And that if you've been in God's grace and you've wandered away, hey, God's a God of second chance. God's a God of a third chance. Today's your day. Oh, Lord, you love us. And I thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' holy name, amen.